All right, happy pre-weekend type Friday deal. I know we always record these on Thursday, so it always kind of messes me up trying to think of it as Friday, but it is Friday when this is released. So how are you doing, Joey? Oh, doing great. Got the long weekend ahead of us here. Another week in the books, another week closer to moving into my new home, and our grandfather is making some lobster stew for us on Sunday, so I will be going over there for lobster stew. I wish you would have given me a heads up. I might have had time to fly up there. It would have been a lot of fun. I know. You should have. You could have could have met Deb and uh, his new friend. She's real good with <laughs> lobsters. You northerners and your lobster. I love it. All right. We'll jump in. So... First thing I wanted to bring, because I brought a lot of good stuff, and I know you did too, is that Apple is kind of moving towards the revolution of technology and putting everything into one thing that is your iPhone. So what they what their new initiative is, is they want to put, they want to get your driver's license and your ID into your Apple wallet. They're basically trying to kill the wallet in general, which I am all 100% for. I'm sick of having to worry about a wallet. If I could, if I could have everything on my phone, it would be awesome. I would love that because... For starters, I don't like things in my pockets. I, I might be weird, but every time I sit down at a restaurant, the first thing I do is empty my pockets onto the table. Yep. I have to take my wallet out, my phone out, my keys out because I just cannot sit there with bulging stuff in my pockets. <laughs> I just cannot, I just can't do it. It drives me crazy. So I always try to slim down on my wallet, but then you get those slim wallets and then you can't carry any cash on you because there's no room for more than like $2 bills unless you want to walk around with couple 20s and I don't like to have that much cash on me so regardless if I could just put my license and all my cards and everything into my phone less for me to lose less for me to walk around with and uh I feel a lot better agreed we tried to solve the problem with the money clip because it made it smaller exactly what you said but the money clip doesn't solve all the problems because there's still too much physical stuff we have too many cards and cash is still bulky even though I I hate cash I'm done with cash I don't want to ever have it again I want it to be gone from the world but some people still do, so I know that I'm I, I'm not I'm not the only I'm not the only one who thinks that, but I'm also <laughs> definitely not correct there because I know a lot of people still love cash. So Apple's vision, you know, have everything in one area, and what immediately came to my mind is that I've never actually had a physical boarding pass on a plane. Never, it's always been on my phone because I mean, since I've been old enough to travel alone, which is a while now, but. I've always had it to where it just links to your Apple wallet and you can open up everything and do everything from either the airlines app or your wallet app. And it's so much easier. It is so much better. You don't have to worry about losing it. It's right there unless you lose your phone. But I, I get this point. I don't really know how you do that. Either way, I'm all for it. I think it's a great idea. The boarding pass on the phone is a genius, I don't know, invention, advancement. Um, That's been around for a while. Technology. It, it is one of the best things ever not having to worry about a piece of paper or getting it ripped in half or lost or any of that. And then it also eliminates time when you get to the airport because then you don't got to go up to the uh, the terminal or whatever and check in and print out the physical copy of the boarding pass. You can just walk right up to security if you're not checking any bags, go right through and boom, you're done. Right. I agree with that. My only concern, well, it wasn't really a concern. The concern that other people were having is that they said, well, we don't really want Apple to have all of our driver's license ID and all that stuff. And I was like, dude, if you think they don't already, you are, you have not gotten with the times yet. They can get whatever information they want on you. Hey, they're, they're here to solve your problems. I mean, if they're going to screw you over, they're going to do it and there's nothing you can do about it. You might as well make your life easier, right? Exactly. And every time you, they roll out a new iOS and you hit, I agree, you're just signing your life away to them anyway. So it's not like they don't own it all already, like you just said. Yeah. The contract has already been signed, but either way, I was happy <laughs> for it. I think, I think it would be a good, a good little advancement. And the only thing that I could think of forwards is I was like, well, 
the only way they could make this even more efficient if it was on a watch. A watch is about like as small as you get, or like like the glasses. I know the Apple and Google glasses have been teased, but you know I think we're years away from that. The phone is still a really good medium. Yep, I agree. And I've been big on the augmented reality glasses. I love them. There just hasn't been a company that's been able to get a pair of them to market yet that's viable and does enough to warrant the price tag that typically comes attached with them. Mark and Zuckerberg. Hopefully Apple's comes out in the next couple of years and, and it's where it's like what you think of whenever you think of augmented reality glasses, but who knows? Yeah, you just Google Mark Zuckerberg, the metaverse, and uh, go down that rabbit hole for a minute. I can't do it justice, but he I'm serious. He's been he's been talking about some ridiculously crazy stuff. So that's worth a look. But I think we've talked that one to death at this point. All right. So I want to do like a brief introduction to the change we've that I've seen. I've done like this giant deep nerd dive into crypto, not cryptocurrency, crypto, just that buzzword this week. Like I've been obsessed with it, I, like an absolute madman. So as soon as this was kind of explained to me, I was like, wait a minute, we've been thinking about this all wrong. So the reason people hate this is they're like, okay, cryptocurrency, great. How many times can you remake the dollar? And I'm always in that same camp. I'm like, yeah, I totally agree. That's not the point. The point is the blockchain and the smart contracts. It's the way that you can base it. We're, we're using this new technology to rewrite every single system we've ever invented. So this came about because I was looking into Cardano, which is, it's one of the cryptocurrencies. It is what it is, but it's not, it's not a currency. It's a platform. Like it's in, in within its platform, there's about a hundred different applications. Think of it literally like your phone that has apps on it. And each of those apps are different programs designed by different companies uh, to run and solve different problems. They even had like an insurance platform on there too. Like it, it blew my mind. Like it, they're not all just coins designed to measure value. They're measuring the work being done by all these companies to solve these problems. I'm obsessed. I'm completely obsessed with it. That's fantastic. And I mean, you see the development of these platforms kind of, and it's not, I'm kind of, I don't want to stray too far away from crypto here, but these central databases called ERP systems or enterprise resource planning software. And the more advanced they become, the more seamless business and even personal life will, will, will seem to, to the public. What they do, they just interconnect every area of your life. Kind of like you started to touch on connecting yep. insurance Everything. And, and the more, the less human interaction there can be with things such as numbers or data entered into a system, the less a human can touch something, the less of a chance for error or disaster there is. Absolutely right. So, fewer touch points, fewer human errors. It makes everything faster and more efficient. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that is just the future. And I know businesses already use these, these systems and software throughout their companies and I'm telling you, I just read about it in my uh, in my master's uh, course book last night. They're being developed for personal phones now, which is almost the route crypto's going down. And the more connected everything can be and the quicker and more efficient information can flow, the better. Yeah, I feel like they'd only focus on making phone apps because we're literally too dumb to comprehend what exactly it is. Like we have to teach, we have to teach ourselves really slowly. It's taken me all week to actually get this process down. Like, so... <laughs> I figure the only reason they want it on an iPhone is because everyone has an iPhone and they can look at it and be like, oh, with enough time, people actually understand this. <laughs> it's a lot easier whenever it's bundled into a little square. All you have to do is tap on instead yep. of actually having to install something onto a laptop and read the whole program and understand how to use the software. Oh, my God. I've had a hell of a time just trying to get the whole wallet thing figured out because you have to have you have to have a wallet, which is basically 
it's like a virtual bank that you store your stuff in. But and then they're like, okay, you can you, you now fund your wallet, um, but you have to take it from somewhere else to put it in there. I was like, wait a minute, I can't just buy it from your platform. No, we're not a marketplace. You have to go actively choose what marketplace you want to use. Which again, I don't know what I'm doing, so I have to ask someone else and figure this out. So I asked my buddies who are really deep into this, and they gave me three. They're like, all right, these do these. So you buy the you you basically use your U.S. dollars to buy these and then you transfer these into the one that the wallet needs to use specifically. Then you put it in the wallet and you can use that from there in any uh, instance, like any type of platform you want. Like we talked about the, the virtual racehorses. You'd have to go, you'd have to have a wallet connected before you could buy one of those. I, that's already 10 too many steps for pretty much 99% of everyone. It, it is not going to get big it, until, well, it will, it will, but it will as soon as someone can figure out how to bundle it and package it into flip the switch, make it happen, or someone does it for me. There's no way anyone over the age of 35 can figure this out. It's just too exactly. much. Exactly. It is, it is a- I'm 24 and I'm lost. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've dabbled in gambling crypto online and, and uh, I oh, think you it's went, called you went the dark way. website <laughs> I in. Not proud of it. Never made any money. Don't recommend it. You will lose money. Oh yeah, no. Cause, oh man, we have talked, <laughs> that's, that's like, someone said something, my favorite philosopher, modern philosopher, Naval Ravikant. I know I've done one of his quotes before. I, I just love this guy. So he basically said, look, the way we pay people, we reward people with money for understanding things faster than everybody else. And I was like, that's absolutely true because with that information you put into action and it just spiraled me down the thinking hole, which I don't even know what I wanted to do. Okay, this has been a long-winded way that I wanted to give a definition for a really cool term I heard that I think I'm calling it right now. I think this is going to be the next buzzword. And I've already I've started to see it pop up once and once or twice. I don't know if it's because my phone read my mind. It's probably listening to me right now. But so the term is anti-fragility, the opposite of fragile. And People have been using it to describe systems to say this is an anti-fragility system. And so what that means is that every time it breaks, it gets better. And how it was explained to me, which is a really, really good metaphor, I thought, they said, all right, think about your muscles. The only way to get stronger is you have to actively work them and break them down. Once they break, they grow back stronger. Because all I could think of was like a car. It's like, you know, cars are obviously depreciating fragile assets. The more you use it, the worse it gets and the less it's worth. So... Smart contracts, the blockchain, things like this are all based on anti-fragility systems. And maybe not all, that might be too overarching, but the good ones that we're trying to push are, they're based on systems that every time someone breaks it, they say, someone, someone hacked this, like how can we trust it, right? It has now learned to never make that same mistake again. That's why it's so important. Has nothing, no, if nothing else matters, if you get nothing else from that, this is why this matters. So are you say, so crypto in general, like uh, the blockchain, its software and program is based off of this idea of anti-fragility, where it it's Some the machine learning that it does, <laughs> it learns from from breaking almost. Some of them, some of some of the some of the applications and platforms on this platform, it's it's going to be too much of a spider web, and we should move on. But like that's that's the point. That's all I wanted to get to before it gets too deep because mm. it hurts your head after a while. <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> All right. Still the wild west and uh, learning more and more every day. Yeah, yeah, I, and hopefully forever. So the next one's nice and easy because it's awesome and it's super uplifting. So Globe Street, which is one of my favorite commercial real estate news sources, did a great article today on how robotic anima uh, auto aut automation is going to solve our labor shortage. And it's something I've been pushing for a while. I was like, look, the big topic on everyone's mind right now is 
how the hell do we solve the later labor shortage? We don't have drivers. We don't have people who want to work in warehouses. And I said, well, yeah, why would they? They can literally go stream on Twitch and make just as much money, if not more. You could trade cryptocurrency, throw your flipping, throw it at a dartboard like a monkey, and you're probably going to do okay. Why would you want to do horrible physical labor if you don't have to? So what they were talking about is we're so desperate for it that these comp companies have started figuring out like a drone and robot automation solutions that can do this. So instead of having to have, you know, 30 workers at your warehouse, moving things around, driving forklifts, you have two guys sitting behind a computer, one controlling a drone and one doing an automated, uh, like a, like a racking, automated racking system. I was like, this is great. We've solved the issue. All that's going to happen in this is quality of life is going to go up. Inevitably, we're going to have people that say like, they took our germs, you know, like that whole thing where they're like, they're killing our jobs, blah, blah, blah. But like, no, if we can get everything done faster, prices go down, everyone can have more for less. I am so excited about this. I love it. I agree. And especially in today's day and age, automation is such a big key component that could help solve the labor shortage because everywhere you see, everybody needs more they say they need more people in the warehouse more people moving packages more truck drivers mm -hmm. um we need more corn because there's a corn shortage so we need more farmers yep and if you can find ways to automate this if you can cut out even the need for ten thousand factory workers that's ten thousand people that could be driving a truck because maybe we can't get autonomous trucks for x amount of time or if you can mm, cut down the need for one area and relocate the people and uh, it's it's only a good thing. And I there like you said, there will be people that will be upset and say that their jobs were taken. But it's uh, the way of the future. We're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail later on because there I just have so many thoughts on it. The set well the second we can bring smart contracts and automation to farming and we can produce more food for less, that's going to solve so many issues. That's the big one that I was worried about. Is like farmers obviously are really struggling right now. They're having a big they're having a they're having a bad time. And I think that I think that reason is that. One, they don't have the skilled labor, and two, they're having a lot of are having a lot of trouble with the supply chains, as everyone is. Smart contracts can fix that. I'm very excited about it. It'd be great if we can get that problem done. Solve world hunger. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, moving forward to that, that's <laughs> yeah. That that I don't know. I don't know if I want to make that promise, but all right, <laughs> that's a big promise. <laughs> Rather under promise than over deliver. Yeah. Opposed to the. Uh, the alternative seriously all right next on the list i had uh your topic actually all righty uh we going into coffee or mr o'leary oh i actually forgot you had two whichever one you'd prefer i'm ready for both all right yeah um well i'll talk about mr o'leary first uh so our listeners um don't know if everyone's heard of the shark tank pretty uh popular show on tv oh yeah i'm um, one of the sharks on the uh the show kevin o'leary mr wonderful um I, I love him first off. I think he's a genius and uh, he's got a bunch of great lessons to teach about business. But I saw an interview with him earlier today that uh, Tom Segura actually did. Um, Tom, he, he's a comedian. Some people may not know him, but he has a podcast he does where he interviews people. He, I know he's interviewed Damon John, Kevin O'Leary now, a couple other people. They're called Tom Talks. So look them up on YouTube if you haven't seen them. They're fantastic, all about 45 minutes or so long. But um, he was talking with Mr. O'Leary and uh, he had mentioned how he loves watches. Watches are his thing. And I've never heard someone go on such a tangent. He even talked about this one watchmaker who only makes 900 watches a year. And if you resell one of his watches, then you're never allowed to buy another watch from him again. It's the Ferrari of watches. The name. Yep. And um, 
it, but he said he is going, he is currently in the process of developing an NFT for watches. And he said he will be the first to do it. And he said it will be called the wonder trust. So that got me thinking, how would you go about it? And John had actually asked me, could it tell time? That was what I was curious so, about. I was like, look, is this, is this like a functional thing? Because I mean, that was all right. My immediate thought was like, look, if you make an NFT functional, it's completely worthless. They're just supposed to be like trading cards and trading cards in essence are not functional. However, you put up a great point. We, we talked about the, the Zebra on the virtual racehorses. And all I could think of was like, oh, wait a minute. They can be useful and they can be valuable because now people are going to want this specific thing. You just have to market it in a different way. And I think if anyone can do it, Kevin can do it. Yeah. And if, if I, I immediately thought of my brain jumped to, if you could find a way to get an app or some type of wallet where you could hold and functional NFTs, like a watch face, put it on an Apple watch. And then you have a one of one NFT developed by Kevin O'Leary that actually works and you can wear it. And it's like, it's like a piece of art. It's literally art you're wearing around on your wrist, like an actual watch. So have you ever heard of you use crypto to buy it? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Have you ever heard of rarible.com? I have not. R-A-R-I-B-L-E. I actually have the app because I want to start picking up NFTs and it's it's literally that. It's it's where you display your collection of NFTs and people can, you know, express interest. Uh, you can't exactly auction them off on there. You purchase them through a you know a third party and all that. But it, it serves that exact purpose as it is supposed to basically store and hold all of your, you know, collector cards pretty much. And so if he did something like that, that would be awesome. I think it's a, it's a great idea because I love watches as well. I don't own a lot as of many do. as I would like to, um, obviously. But he the way he described his love for watches is people ask him, how do you even tell time on some of your watches? Because they're so crazy. And he says, I don't tell time on them. They're, right. It's art to him. Yeah, it's that's literally what they're art. for. Yep. Yeah, you, that's a great point. That's I mean, so... All right, quick tangent real quick. I found a series of NFTs I really liked that like kind of tickled my fancy. And I was like, wait, I would actually purchase these. So it's called The Visitors. And it's it, they're like all these different little aliens and they all have like, you know, the same portrait, but I, obviously everything about it is different. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, these are cool. These are gonna be worth something one day. Cause they're only, you know, they're only doing 10,000 this round. It's the original round. Yeah, it's similar to, um, was it the Board Ape Yacht Club was one of the big ones too. If you haven't looked that up, go look them up. They're actually super funky. They're like graffiti apes in different scenarios. I don't know, but like, the, I think those are the collections that you can look at and you can say, okay, I see why people are kind of paying for these. These are cool. These are like trading cards where you can say, oh, I have this. It was minted and created only for me. There's nothing else that looks like it. It's just mine. I see it. I get it. Mm -hmm. It's the rarity. Yep. Thing. And if there's a way to display it, even better. It's, it's going to end up, it's going to be the art of uh of the 21st the metaverse century, the art of the metaverse uh-huh yep i totally it will agree. eventually become instead of people collecting paintings they'll end up collecting nfts and then before you know what we'll digital picture frames hanging on our walls in our house displaying our nfts as yep. well as on our phones oh i totally agree your online persona is everything and eventually we can find a time well so okay damn it we have to go down this path so like zuckerberg talks about in his metaverse where everything is interconnected so like where you can be one different person on Twitter than you can be on Instagram, that you can be on LinkedIn. Now it's confirmed you're all the same person. It's, it builds into just one massive personality. And so as terrifying as that is, we are all pretty interconnected already. I don't think it's gonna be that much of a change. But I mean, 
it's like it's like your username is you and like that's it and so what i would think is that we you put your nfts under you and that's that's where the collection would come into effect basically and why you would do it is because you'd want to make yourself and your online metaverse person seem like you know a rich boy yeah yeah and i mean it could definitely be a way that people can learn about one another as well maybe i have an nft of michael jordan you look at it all of a sudden you think oh all right this guy's into basketball into sports into michael jordan uh you know, it's just what you value, essentially, which is what we say every week when we get into NFTs is it's only valuable if you value it. Well, no, it means something only has a thing is only worth what someone else will pay for it is what I always say. Mm -hmm. But what you said is absolutely correct. So then, of course, the big <laughs> the big answer to this is why the hell don't you just get a picture off the Internet? It's perfectly free. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, you've got a point, but you can't say you own that thing. And it's literally just the human draw to need to own stuff. Exactly. And whenever you actually own the NFT, you own the code behind it. And all of it is attributed to your person. Yeah. Well, I'll do a could whole you, thing. Sorry. Could you count those as an asset then? Uh, it depends. I mean, I think you probably could. I, the problem that we're running into in the accounting world is that how do we tax the gains that you'd make on auctioning an NFT? Like if you buy it at five Ethereum and sell it for 20, Ethereum's not US dollars. I mean, do you can, if you convert that back to US dollars, is that conversion now the capital gain? Is it income? We don't really know. I, I know the White House is currently trying to figure out what they want to do with it. And Gary Gensler, our boy over at the SEC head, Mr. Crazy Hair head, he, uh, he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with it now. And they're definitely majorly in, in favor of regulating it and taxing the hell out of it. No surprise there, but um, I, I think I think the, the decentralized finance world is going to win out, and I think it's where everyone's going to realize all at once taxation is ridiculous. There's a better way of doing this. Like we, there's so many better ways, and it's going to open up a whole new world. Yep. Pay me in one Ethereum instead of uh, my weekly paycheck. Seriously. Much happier. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm, well, <laughs> shoot, because it's worth like they're worth like three thousand bucks at this point. Yeah, definitely take that. Should I even take half an Ethereum? Man, <laughs> just don't tax me. I'm all for it. I it's gonna. I think it's gonna even itself out in the next year or so. We're, we're really gonna see some cool applications. But all right, let's move on. Let's do your next one. All right. So there was a study published this week, and I initially saw it uh, posted by CNN, and I actually just caught a glimpse. They were actually talking about it on the uh, the five o'clock news right before we started recording. Uh, new study finds, and I don't know the science behind it or what <laughs> lab this came out of. But three cups of coffee a day reduces the risk of heart disease. That's a shitload so of coffee. That's great news. <laughs> it's a lot of coffee. <laughs> that means we're going to live a long time because I'm currently taking down two and I can definitely bump that up to three if need be. Yeah, you're going to live longer than I will. But the issue is that <laughs> I consume caffeine in different ways. Like, I, I mean, I use a pre-workout supplement before I go to the gym after work just because it gets you moving. And that's a ton of caffeine. So you have to wonder, is it what's in the coffee or is it in the caffeine? But I had a connecting story to that. So... We've talked about it before briefly, and I know I'd seen somewhere there was an experiment where a king tried to prove that coffee was bad for you, and it went horribly wrong in his against him. So I found it, and this is on Wikipedia, unfortunately, and it's unconfirmed if it's a real story or not. But I think it's really funny either way. It was King Gustav III of Sweden, and what he did is okay. I'm just gonna read it. So. Coffee first arrived in Sweden in 1674, a long-ass time ago, and was little used until the turn of the 18th century and became fashionable among, among the wealthy. So um, if you're over there paying like seven bucks for a thing of Starbucks, uh, you're actually in the past. This has been going on since the 18th century. So, you know, 
I'm cool because I don't pay that much for money <laughs> or coffee. <laughs> so I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that long ago. All right. In 1746, a royal edict was issued against coffee and tea, because I guess, you know, tea is caffeine, due to the misuse and excess of tea and coffee drinking. Heavy taxes were levied on consumption. Failure to pay the tax and the substance resulted in fines and confiscation of cups and dishes. I wonder if people drank less or more coffee because of that. Probably more, just because they were told not to. Later, coffee was banned completely. Despite the ban, consumption continued. Bam, there it is. Yeah, prohibition didn't work, but that didn't either. Gustav III, who viewed coffee consumption as a threat to public health and was determined to prove its negative health effects, ordered a scientific experiment to be carried out. I love this. Threat to public health. Coffee. Would have never thought. So, here's the experiment. The king ordered the experiment to be conducted on two identical twins. Both the twins had to be tried for the crimes they committed and condemned to death. So, they'd already done something really bad before. Their sentences were commuted, commuted to life imprisonment on the condition that one of the twins drank three pots of coffee and the other drank the same amount of tea every day for the rest of their lives. Joey, that sounds like you're heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I would take that sentence any day of the week. Over death? Yeah, that's not bad. So yep. two physicians were appointed to supervise the experiment and report its finding to the king. Unfortunately, both doctors died of natural causes before the experiment was completed. And Gustav III was assassinated in 1792, so he died before he could figure out if it was a good idea or not. So of the twins, the tea drinker was the first to die at age 83. This is in the, 18, in the 1700s, the late 1700s. 83 was really old back then. It is unknown when the coffee drinker died. Hell, he may still be kicking. <laughs> if that's the case, then I might just live forever because... Yeah, you'll, I you'll be around longer consume, than me. I consume coffee... Probably more than your average person, I would say. <laughs> You're so, more than your average white girl. <laughs> yeah, prob definitely more than them, definitely. <laughs> but see, I'm not consuming pumpkin spice lattes. I'm consuming French pressed, good old fashioned coffee beans. Hey, I don't mess around with the pumpkin spice latte. Those things are actually really good. <laughs> they are tasty, man. They are. I've dabbled in them in my past. But yeah, it's like a dessert. I'll all right, yeah. let's finish this up real quick. So in 1794, the government once again tried to impose a ban on coffee. The ban, which was renewed multiple times until the 1820s, never successfully was never successful in stamping out coffee drinking. Once the ban was lifted, coffee became a dominant beverage in Sweden and since has been one of the country's highest coffee consumption per capita in the world. The experiment has jokingly been called the first Swedish clinical trial. I love it. End of story. <laughs> That could almost be attributed to modern day as well, because it's just, it's so funny years later, whenever kings or, or people in power try to impose bans on stuff like this. And it's just so silly when we look back, like how silly was that? Why would, there's no science behind it. You just wanted power and you wanted to tell people not to do something. It's so goofy. It gets me every time. All right. Yep. So I have a fun theory since we're moving on. And this has been talked about a lot this week that I've seen in the normal financial news, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times and such. And the big topic of discussion was, so why hasn't the S&P 500 crashed yet? Why has it continued to just go up, even though we've seen, I think it's eight to 10 of these little mini bubble pops, whether it be the SPACs, the SPACs that we talked about before, which were the shell companies just funneling money into these acquisitions they wanted to do. Uh, I know the real estate market had a big oopsie in 2020, immediately rebounded. Cryptocurrency bubble popped later in the summer. Literally nothing happened. It was okay. So we've had all these mini bubble pops and it's like the SP 500 just kind of laughs at it. It's like, whatever. So here's my theory. And it's one of the big themes of this show. 
information travels really, really fast. I think a long time ago, and whenever we have our big market crashes, you know, you think of uh, 89, uh, was it 89, 87? One of those, either way. Uh, 2008, stuff like that. Information didn't move that fast. When people hear about a crash, no matter where that crash was, whether it was in the real estate markets, the equities, the debt markets, regardless of where it was, people hear crash, they freak out and pull their money out of everywhere. Nowadays, we're able to attribute, we're able to basically say like, this is, this is what happened, this is who it affected, this is why it happened. We immediately have a reason within, God, four hours probably of whenever, whatever it was. So that's my theory. I think it's because information travels so fast, we're able to attribute it, say, boom, this is why it happened. Okay, everyone don't panic, business as usual, keep investing. Yeah, I agree. Whenever people feel like they're in the know, I feel like they are Less they're scared. much more calm yep. and less likely to panic and do crazy things with their money. Yep. <laughs> yep. So even in 2008, not everyone had a smartphone that would just ping them as soon as something happened. I mean, I get pings from my news app from uh, news sources. I don't even know I'm following. Mm -hmm. Like it'll be like <laughs> ping Kevin Durant just tore his ACL. Ping <laughs> this happened. Ping, ping, ping. And like, I'm like, I never followed these news sources. Why are you telling me this? I just get the Wall Street but Journal. And it's incredible. It's the same you, thing. You get updated on stuff so fast in today's society yep. that the second something financially related in the world that could cause harm or damage or create panic happens, everyone's immediately notified of all the details. Now, whether or not these details are accurate or people jump to their own conclusions, that's a whole nother another road you could go down. But but when people feel like they're in the know, I feel like they uh, they act more reasonably. I also, I feel like we're kind of still numb to danger, even though we like we like feeling like everything's going wrong. Like there's all the news, so you could open up any news source and it's gonna be telling you the world's falling apart, but all the, you know, all the numbers point to we're doing just fine, everything's okay. So we like to freak out, but at the same time, I think we're completely numb to danger at this point. So you could be like, Everything's going wrong. Everyone would have 24 hours of like heavy breathing. What do we do? And then literally the next day, it'd be like, ah, okay, business as usual. That's old. That's old news right there. Whatever. Yep, I agree. And I, I call it fear porn at this point. And every single media outlet is obsessed with it because yep. I guess whenever you see something that that is scary, I guess it garners clicks and views. And scary gets and views. Tune yep. in, but I've hit the point where. I just don't even want to see it. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to see it. It brings me down. If it's pertinent to my life, then I'll check it out. Or if it's like a huge national crisis that I need to know about, I'll check it out. But I mean, you can scroll through any media outlet, watch any media source, and you're going to see the same scary things being reported on just with a different angle. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. And we can't tear ourselves apart. All right. We've talked enough about that. So I'm gonna do a company highlight real quick. Really, really cool company that I found today and it relates to my world, so I was excited about it. It's called Saltbox, one word. I don't know where they got that name. I couldn't figure it out. But what Saltbox does is they, uh, they develop and create warehouses, but they're not traditional warehouses. So whenever you see a warehouse, usually you know it's a big, empty, cold, dark shell is what we call it in real estate. And it's, there's nothing in it. It's got docks for trucks, nothing else. You put your stuff in it. So what Saltbox does is they're focused on really, really small tenants. So we have all these businesses that have grown, you know, throughout the pandemic really highlighted this kind of thing where people were running their e-commerce businesses out of their homes. And they're like, we just want our kitchen table back. Like we, we don't even have that. So 
this company's done a really, really genius thing where they, they customize their spaces specifically and they take the warehouse and they make it not feel like a warehouse. They make it feel like a home office and you can rent anywhere from as small as, God, I think it was like a, like 125 square feet, like a tiny, tiny little spot all the way up to, I think 8,000 was their largest, which if you know anything about it, 8,000 is still a very small warehouse footprint. So I love this and the solution that they came up with is interesting. They highlighted a problem I didn't know existed. So what they were talking about is they said, well, look, all these small e-commerce businesses are turning to self-storage and they're using self-storage for their business operations because that's all they have. And that got me thinking, self-storage is a really hot asset class these days. That's what all these people who don't know a damn thing about buying into real estate, that's what they all wanna do. They all wanna get into self-storage because it generates cash flow. And I'm, th I'm sitting there thinking like, Nobody really has that much stuff. Why do all these people need self-storage? Why are they still paying for it? This makes so much sense. <laughs> I'd never thought of it this way. It's because all the e-commerce businesses don't know where to go. That's genius. And you think, you think how many e-commerce businesses are just started by your random person who one day just got the inspiration to start, I don't know, 3D printing, sewing, uh, creating a product, and they don't know the first thing about business. They don't know what LLCs are or, or corporations or, or what documents need filed. So all of a sudden you just got your kitchen table piled up with goods. And, and it's such a, it's such a tough world to learn about, you know, storage and warehouses and, and logistics. This just makes it salt box, makes it more palatable for the consumer. It almost feels like, which is then these e-commerce business owners. Yep. I'm all for it. Yeah. Learning about that stuff the hard way is rough. So I, of course, I'm, I, I always do this. I immediately reached out and was like, Hey, there's a fantastic idea. When you come into Florida, so I want to know. And they were like, they were so happy and I was being supportive and everything. But either way, it always makes me happy to see stuff like that. That's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, and you know, yep. There is real quick. Cause I know we're kind of running a little long probably. Oh yeah. I did see something similar to not Saltbox, but have you ever heard of ghost kitchens before? Yes. I just learned about this yesterday. Oh, they're a genius idea. And I'm so glad they're getting big. Go for it. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know if the whole world knows about Mr. Beast at this point, I feel like, but there's a YouTuber <laughs> out there named Mr. Beast. And this is the first time I ever heard of ghost kitchens. He has this thing called Mr. Beast burger. And I've never seen one in person, but I see them on DoorDash and they're like, I can order them from my house. And I wonder where the hell is this restaurant? And I've ordered it before. Anymore. It shows up at my door and it says the address is a Bravo Cucina Italian kitchen. And I'm like, how are they pumping out Mr. Beast burgers? Mm -hmm. And I did a little research. I guess nowadays there's a ton of celebrities who have their own, their own uh, restaurant. You could call it like uh, Mariah Carey has Mariah's cookies. Tyga, the rapper, has Tyga chicken bites. Um, even DJ Pauly D from the Jersey Shore has DJ Pauly D subs. Oh, I love that. And these are real businesses. But what they do is these restaurants like Bravo and Buca de Beppo and all these these uh, brick and mortar places who have kitchen staff just standing around whenever you know the restaurant business took a dive during the pandemic, they could sign up to pump out these foods for these these uh, these businesses. You could sign up to be a seller of Mr. Beast Burger if you're a Bravo, and that way you don't have idle kitchen staff just standing around, and it reduces the real estate capital. It, it gives your staff stuff to do, and um, I don't know. I think everyone wins out there. DoorDash, Mr. Beast, and the, the Bravo chain. It's beautiful. We've literally, we've created efficiency in a way that I would have never guessed again. I love it. We can get services to more people. We can stop wasting time. Like 
so I've worked in a restaurant and that's a really big thing too, is like, there's a lot of downtime except for the rush. And the rush is like, it's like a hot two to three hours of your day and that's it. That is the day. <laughs> and so the, the rest of the time, you're quite literally twiddling your thumbs. This is perfect. I love it. Get people who are serving, get them into, get them driving and get the people in the back working. Like, man, wait, <laughs> I love it. I'm all for it. I know I'm ready to start my own ghost kitchen. I don't feel good Friday. Bites. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Coming to the door to soon. Well, you can think about it. I mean, shoot. I don't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I know what I like in food, but I like everything. So I probably wouldn't be the best <laughs> person to test that on. I'd eat probably anything. Oh, I love food, and it's a big issue. I could eat just like you about anything. Put it in front of me, it'll get devoured. True that. All right, we've run long. I'll do your quote. We'll wrap up for the weekend. Yep. So quote this week. I I saw it. It's from a British philosopher named Alan Watts. He said, life is like a dance, not a journey. Life is not like a journey. To dance is not the aim to get from one point of the room to another, but instead to enjoy the dance. Life is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be experienced. I love that. Super deep, as always. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to sit on that one for a while. There's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> Unpack that over the long weekend. That's the goal. All right. Enjoy your long weekend. So if you have anything uh, or if you just want to say hi, submissions.feelgoodfinance at gmail.com. Probably check it twice a week. Uh, it will get you on. If you have something to say, we're more than happy to present it. Or if you want to be a part of it, just let me know. Submissions.feelgoodfinance at gmail.com. All right. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend.